Hello, and welcome to The Fizzle Show. You know where this is? The Fizzle Show. Actionable, articulate, and entertaining conversations about running a business in the modern world. Every Friday, we publish another conversation about entrepreneurship, building a thriving audience, and the battle of supporting yourself doing something that you care about. In this episode today, you know, so many answers to your current problems are going to be found in talking to your customers. That's why we make guides and courses on defining your target market, one of the first orders of business here at Fizzle. And yet, it's a weapon even successful entrepreneurs forget to use. Corbett tells a great story about how Scott Dinsmore did this, found his next breakthrough idea, says the most important thing he ever did this this past year in his business. Important stuff in talking to your customers. And now in this episode, we talk about a specific way to hear from your customers. Surveys. We conducted a massive NPS survey. We talk about that in here uh, with our customers recently. We wanted to share how to do something like this with your audience, how to do a survey. What are some things you need to know about? All right. Your hosts are, there's three of us. Uh, If we were internet platforms, Corbett would be Google. All of the information you need served up in a humble, minimalist interface. Barrett would be Reddit, a far-reaching index of awesome that spans thousands of subjects with all the latest and greatest ideas on the internet. And Chase, that's me, would be upworthy, eye-catching, attention-grabbing, and disruptive that helps masses of people to make the world a better place. Well, that is awful flattering, Kalen Huntress. Thank you for that introduction. Follow along at home at fizzleshow.co slash 94. I'll be back after this conversation to fill in any gaps. So let's get into it. It's been a little while. There he is. Okay. Corbomb. Uh, Corbomb. Listen, on the show today, uh, Corbett is going to walk us through something that we went through recently and that I'm still sort of, I don't really uh, understand it enough, but what I do know about it, I like. I like it. I think I like it a lot. So, Corbett, tell, tell us what we're going to get into. So, we talk on a regular basis, or I think we we hint or highlight or call to one's attention the need to talk to your customers, right? We, we always say the answers are in the conversations you're going to have with your customers. And we see this time and time again, uh, especially when we work with people. We had the opportunity uh, to consult with Scott Dinsmore and to help him build his new website last year. And one of the first things that you did, Chase, was you told Scott that we need to figure out the right angle in on this thing? What's the heart and soul of what you do? And how are we going to um, change your website from what it already is in terms of the positioning and how you talk about it? And what's the hook? What are we going to do to grab people? And the way to find that out is by talking with people through interviews. And so we sent Scott off to go do 10 or 12 different interviews. He uh, recorded them. We listened to several of them. He got a ton out of it. He said that was probably the single most valuable thing he did all of last year. And in fact, he ended up taking on three or four projects at the end of the year just because of that. He had all this new found sense of clarity and direction, and, and it was incredible. So interviewing customers is great, and we highly recommend that. But beyond interviews, there are other things that you can do. Um, there are other ways that you can get in touch with customers on a whole to kind of feel directionally, how am I going? Instead of qualitatively, what does this one person say? It's more like quantitatively, as we listen to our entire audience, how are we doing? What's what's the pulse of this thing right now? Yeah. And so when Barrett came back from Davos, 
that oh, uh, oh, World God. Economic Forum that he was at, um, we had this just newfound sense of, okay, what are we doing here? And what direction are we headed? And I know that we had a bunch of goals for this year, but what's the bigger picture? And, um, and how are we doing? And so we started to look into what we should be doing for the year. And um, a bunch of questions came up around, well, do we have marketing issues? Do we have promotion issues? Do we have conversion issues? Do we have churn issues? What exactly do we need to fix in order to grow this business? Our big goal for the year, or just our big goal in general right now, is to try to get to this place of consistent growth. Because we some some months we do really great, we add 10% new members. Other months we're kind of flat. Some months we even lose a little bit of ground. And we kind of have this up and down sort of seesaw thing going on. And we want to figure out how do we get to true traction? Because we read about startups and other businesses online and we see that um, at some point, the ones that really grow beyond just putting food on the table, the ones that grow to a place where they can build wealth and accomplish something really meaningful on a larger scale, they sort of hit this inflection point where they go from having that up and down, up and down, month over month kind of growth to just consistent. This month is going to be 6 to 10% growth, and next month is going to be the same for a period of years. And, and that's really what um, our friends like Brad Feld and others in the um, VC startup space call product market fit or traction. Yeah. So that's kind of where we're getting. And in order to get to that place, um, we thought we should um, research what other people are doing to figure out where their problems lie and what they should be working on first. And one of the things that kept coming up over and over again was this idea of um, surveying your customers and um, getting a bunch of feedback from them and sort of prioritizing that feedback and uh, and using that to guide your decisions. And I, I think we had um, we've surveyed people in the past, but we hadn't done it recently. And um, we got a ton of really great feedback. So really, that's what we wanted to talk about on the show today, and specifically the methodology we used and the tools that we used to run the survey. So tell me the survey's name again. So the one that we landed on is something called the Net Promoter Score. And um, I think a lot of people are familiar with this because big companies use this. In fact, somebody commented on a blog post I wrote about this, uh, a Fizzle Show listener named Kendon. Um, he commented that when he worked at Apple in Apple Retail, this is something they used. And um, basically, the net promoter score all came from some work by a guy named uh, Fred Reichcliffe and uh, Bain. Hi, this is Fred. Yeah, do you have any questions? Yeah, exactly. Hey, Fred, how's it going? That's uh, very good. Yeah, you talk about the net promoter score? Yeah, yeah. I created that. What do, what do you want to know? That's oh, pretty cool. We got you on the line. So um, tell me about it, Fred. What's, what's so, it all about? Uh, it actually came from my uh, <laughs> my wife at the time. was uh, She was really curious about uh, what jewelry she should wear each day. You know, we go to a lot of galas and events and things like that. Uh, I'm an academic, so I get into big parties with Kanye and things. So uh, she didn't know what jewelry would would, would work, right? So um, so we, we devised a little bit of a system. Yeah, I'm a social economics guy, so I kind of put together the system with her to decide and discover, in fact, what, what jewelry jewelry is, is the right jewelry to wear. And you know what it came down to? Uh, we tried a lot of different uh, models, some of them even including animals and pictures of animals and things. But the one we ended up settling on, Corbett, was um, this simple 1 to 10, 1 not at all, 10 a lot, a lot, 
uh, which jewelry should I wear? Do you like this piece? Do you like that piece? Uh, And of course, like any good husband, everything was 10 for me, so I wasn't very helpful. But uh, we did do, and now we're we're the morning zoo people, aren't we? Now that's really... Oh, shit. That's how it happens. That's how it happens. <laughs> That's how it happens. It. I get bored with like, and then we got this number and tried <laughs> to decide oh, what man. to do. <laughs> People just went to like right now, 3X and they were like, what the hell is wrong with my podcast player? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Suddenly Corbett's voice turned into three times slow speed. <laughs> so for me, the net promoter score, I, I mean, and it's a very simple uh execution of this is like uh, what you see at Amazon or something like that every now and again or like they were talking about doing an Apple every once in a while you see this like how, how, how likely are you to uh, to promote this to other uh, to other people in your life uh, one not at all ten totally uh, really 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 uh, all the time I would I would promote this to, to my friends and family um, and uh, I guess so you'll be getting into this but but suffice it to say that's it's pretty simple in in itself so what what do you do with it besides just going like we got another 8 guys oh good job right high five right well yeah. okay so the theory behind it and there's there's some controversy about this actually as to how relevant this really is but the idea is there was an article in the Harvard Business Review in 2003 um that called this the one number you need to grow So the idea is that if someone is likely to recommend you to someone else, recommend your business or your product to someone else, that is the strongest indicator you can use to figure out if your company is going to do well or not. Hmm. And um, there was some data there, and I've since read some other studies that kind of refuted this, so it's unclear how true that really is. But the idea is that by asking people how likely they are to recommend our product or service, we can say that basically, if we're able to improve that score over time, that directly correlates to improving our business results. Because the more likely somebody is to recommend us, um, the more customers we're going to get because word of mouth is so important. And also just because if someone's likely to recommend us, that's a proxy for how happy they are with our product overall and how happy other people that we sign up will be at the same time. Yeah. So, so the net promoter score NPS, this is just one way that you can survey your audience and it gives you a framework to work within, a way to interpret the results and a way to look and see what other companies might be doing in different spaces. And I'll get into the comparative aspects in a minute. Um, but essentially, um, there are two questions to the net promoter score survey. The first is, as you said, how likely are you to recommend Fizzle to a friend or coworker is basically how we worded it. There's a little bit of debate as to how you should word that, and I'll, I'll bring that up when we talk about the results that we got because it is a little bit. Um, you can see how that might not directly let people answer um, whether or not they like your service because they might be saying, "I love your service, but I don't know anybody I can recommend this to." And we actually got a lot of that in the results, and we can talk about that in a second. But that's the first question, and the second one is basically to let people with freeform text, just expand on that to say, okay, you answered, you know, let's say you answered a nine. The next question is, what's the most important reason for your score? So people say, uh, 
on a scale of zero to 10, I'm a four in terms of zero being least likely and 10 being most likely to recommend you. And um, the most important reason for that is that I signed up and I um, took a couple of lessons and I didn't find them to be all that useful or whatever it is that they have to say. So we decided to run this uh, for Fizzle and um, we found a tool uh, and I'll mention what that is in a second. But basically we use this tool to send out this survey to everybody who was an active paying member of Fizzle. There were nearly 1,800 people that we sent this to, and we got about a 40% response rate. So um, over 650 people responded to this survey, gave us their score, and gave us feedback. Not necessarily everybody leaves feedback, um, but if they don't leave feedback, the tool we used, um, which is called promoter.io, allows you to respond to people and to ask them for more feedback. Did you guys um, have much of a chance to go through all that feedback, or did you just read the summary that I sent? I went through about the first 150. <laughs> I didn't go through any of it, I, I, but I did read all the ones that you've kind of put into Slack over time. Okay, cool. So you can imagine like 600 and something uh, survey responses is a lot to go through. Yeah. Um, but it was it was useful, and I think the the issue is uh, anytime you do a survey like this, if you allow people to input free form text, then you're going to get a whole mess of stuff back. And then the question is, how do I make sense of this? Right? It's yeah. just a bunch of it's like you know, and and even when I just post it to you guys, I posted a handful of the ones that are useful. Even if I post like 20 of those that are really useful, it's like how do, how does my brain interpret this, and how do we figure out what's actionable and what's not? And so. For administering the survey and for um, making sense of all the results, this tool that I mentioned, Promoter.io, um, basically it allows you to uh, send the surveys to everybody. It handles collecting all the data, and then it gives you the data back in a way that you can respond to people, and so you can categorize the feedback that they give you. So if somebody says, "Hey, they gave," let's say they give us a, a nine or a ten, they say, "I really love the training. It's really useful." Then what I can do is go in and tag it to say um, training, you know, and, and assign them the training tag, and to say that it was positive feedback about our training, so that yeah. later we can go in and look at all the, you know, sort of see what boils to the surface, so that we can say, okay, here are the top five reasons why people really love us, and here are the top five reasons why they don't, or why they felt like they couldn't recommend us. So hold on now. Let's let's zoom out, okay? We've right. let's zoom out, and uh, maybe I might even cut this and and put this bit at the very beginning uh, of this conversation. Uh, so Corbett, at uh, a very high level, people who don't maybe run a a massive uh, sort of you know membership site or sort of thing like that yet, or don't have a business up and running or a bunch of ton, you know hundreds or thousands of customers to survey, what can they? Why is this such an interesting thing and potentially a very good thing for them to explore? Why is what? Surveying your customers? Surveying kind of in general and maybe the net promoter score in specifically. Specifically? In specifically, (laughs) yes, that's correct. Well, as I said earlier, I mean... When you're trying to decide what you should work on, you know, we all have our little pet projects and our, um, you know, our, the things that we think are important to the company, but it's all based on hunches, right? And it's easy for us to have conversations where one of us is like, we should do this. And Barrett's like, no, we should do that. And Chase is like, we should do all of it at the same time (laughs) and turn it into Technicolor. Here's some drugs. Try these two. Um, so this is just a way basically for us to, figure out which of our hunches are maybe in the right direction. 
Um, and, uh, you know, the idea is do more of what people say they really like about you and do less of what they don't like about you or, or fix the things that they don't like about you. And overall, that should improve your product over time. Mm-hmm. And it should get you closer to this concept, um, that I mentioned earlier of product market fit, which is where your product really solves a problem very well for your customers. And um, this is just a way to sort of quantify that because otherwise it's like, I don't know, does our product, does Fizzle really solve this problem for people well? What could we be doing better to help people uh, make progress in trying to build a business? And how do we know if, if this is the right thing to work on or not? I like it. That's a great answer. Nailed so it. good. Nailed it. Ding, ding, ding. So we get these 650 responses from people, and um, the tool that we used, it's pretty good, promoter.io, um, but it still ended up taking me, I think, maybe 15 hours or so of time to send the survey out, get all the responses. Wow, that is a lot of hours. <laughs> Categorize oh. all of them. And um, partly I think that's because I responded to every single person who, uh, who sent in any sort of response to the survey. So this, not only do you get a lot of great feedback from people and you get this overall score that you can kind of look at, but it also gives you a really great excuse to communicate with all of your most active members. And that's always a good thing, right? We always notice when when people are um, around for a long time and we ask them why, or if people are leaving, a lot of people bring up the fact that we were there, that we felt like we genuinely care, and that we were available to answer questions personally. Um, a lot of people point to that and say that's a, a big benefit of, of why they love being in, inside Fizzle, and this was an excuse to reach out to 650 people. I like it. So... Um, we can talk about our score and what we learned from it and you know all that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm wondering if we shouldn't talk about our experiences with some other surveys as well, other things that we've done in the past to survey our customers. You did one um, recently, Chase, at the end of the year. It wasn't a, a survey to say, how are we doing? It was a survey to say, how are you doing, right? Well, yes, that's exactly right, Corbett. Thank you for the question. Um, so what had happened was, is we had this whole year, you know, 2014 is a very crazy year. We did all these things, tried all these stuff, you know, and you don't know exactly what is working and what isn't, right? So what happens is I asked the people, hey, what is working? And what did you do? You know, what, did, what was it that you ended up doing with all these things that we made for you, you know? And then they said, they said oh, I did this and uh, oh, I did that and I made a curry and I, I grew rabbits and I uh, quit my job, you know, all these things. And that is, <laughs> that is sort of... Uh, somebody, grew, somebody grew rabbits. Yeah, they grew rabbits. It was a fascinating story about like these, these pills that you just put in the ground and the rabbit comes. I don't oh. know if it's true or not, but I really like the way that the person was telling it. So, and which is a funny thing about time and truth, right? Is they're both slippery. But, uh, anyways, uh, sorry. I don't know. I don't know how to not do that sometimes. <laughs> I've, I've got, I've listened to this whole long audiobook called Shantaram and the voices in there, there's a bunch of these great, it's, it takes place in India and there's all these wonderful Indian accents. And I've just fallen in love with it. I've just like now it's like hard for me not to go like, babe, what is for dinner? Like, are you going to be cooking tonight, or is it sort of just like are we having American food? Or what is, is there it? a is there a word for this condition? Because you you uh, you mentioned before there was a, a term for the condition where uh, whenever somebody says anything, you immediately think the dirtiest thing you could possibly. Is there, <laughs> yeah, is, that's there right. is there a term for the condition where uh, you suddenly slip into accents? <laughs> 
Yes, but it's not even that. Chase like, right? syndrome. It, it's a whole. It's a whole character. Anyways, I, and this is part of a bigger, a bigger framework that I, I, I that I'll bring out later. I'll, I'll tell you about later because I think it's really. It has this very interesting and useful business application. Um, but. Uh, so we asked, uh, we asked, what we, what did we do? We did a really quick Wufu survey, right? Am I remembering that correctly? It yeah. was like a month ago. I already can't remember it. You can't remember. Um, but it was a quick Wufu survey and it had a handful of questions in there that were all, um, like, uh, that were all like multiple choice types. I don't think there was any full text ones. Cause what I, what I wanted to be able to do was I wanted to make this great big page that just celebrated what like accomplishments, uh, people had, had, had sort of, accomplished in in this year in 2014 just the fizzlers like hey we're all in this together we're all trying to support ourselves we all you know many of us have day jobs many of us dream about not having that day job some of us have already not had that day job but we dream about making the more revenue some of us are trying to get to this many email subscribers some of us are there we haven't even made our first buck yet or whatever right we're all on the same path but we're in different places and so just as a way to like make this great site this page that that could kind of celebrate that so I kind of zoomed out and thought about, you know, what are, what are valuable questions to ask uh, about that? And you can find the answers to it at fizzle.co slash 2014 uh, yeah. for uh, the year 2014, that is, you know, because that, uh, that was the year that was last year. And um, so, yeah, so, I mean, we asked it, we got, uh, wasn't there, there was like a lot of the, of, we did. I made it really simple for a reason because I wanted to get a lot of. I wanted to get a lot of responses, and I made it fun and cute. Like you know, when you got the email as a fizzler, there was this fun like little image of 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 me saying like, "Hey, do you have three seconds? I'd love for you to do this." And yeah. it's just a button, you know. And by, and by the way, you you got an incredible response rate to that. Um, I think we got more responses to that than anything else that we've we've ever published. And um, do you remember the exact wording on that? I th- uh, I don't. Uh, while you're while we're talking, I could um... pull that up in Mailchimp because that ended up working out so well. And I, I know because when I sent this survey out, um, I went and looked to see what that was. I didn't want to use the exact same wording, but um, for this one, I think I said, uh, "Do you have thirty seconds? We have two really important questions to ask you." I think the the subject was something like that, mm-hmm. and uh, and there's just a button inside that people can click, and uh, we got about a forty percent response rate to this one. But that last survey that you sent out, um, it was it was a little like uh, mysterious in yeah. terms of what you were asking for. But I think we got like a fifty something percent response rate on that one. Um, not just open rate. I mean, that's how many people responded to the survey, which was actually maybe even more. I think you got nearly a thousand responses, didn't you? Yeah, I think we. I think we we did just over. So it must a have been sixty something. Yeah, sixty something yeah. percent, which is pretty awesome. But th- so this is a this kind of survey to me. This is a different kind of. <laughs> I found that it just is a picture of my face with fireworks behind it, and it just says, "I want to make you something." <laughs> and then it says, "Could you take four seconds and answer these quick yes/no questions?" And then the big orange button is, "Let's do it." And then under the button in gray, sort of italic text is, "Don't worry, it'll be super quick." And I'm making something great in nice. just our regular email template. And I can't. Uh, I don't know what the subject line was. I'll have to look into it. Hold on. Uh, keep talking. So I don't know. Oh, the subject line was just Fizzler exclamation point. Nice. <laughs> Lowercase f. <laughs> like nice. it was clearly just like thrown together. <laughs> so I don't know if other companies do this kind of thing. I mean, I know that um, the idea for this was was loosely based on like what Mailchimp and some others do. At the end of the year, um, they publish a bunch of stats, and 
I think that in a lot of cases, they get the stats just from the usage of their software. And some of the answers that we have in here at fizzle.co slash 2014 are just from usage stats. You know, like we said, for example, um, <laughs> I love this one. It says 2,713 private messages were sent. So inside of our forums, people can send private messages. And then in parentheses, it says, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> and on top of a picture uh, from um, the Princess Bride, Princess Bride, exactly, where they're like, they're you know, they're just like, it's a really far away picture, and they're they're like standing right next to each other, staring into each other's eyes. <laughs> I love that. I would yeah. love for a psychologist to do an analysis of what that report means about Chase. Totally. So I was looking at this page, and what I had found initially was very different than what I what I ended up deciding about Chase. I'll tell you that in another later episode of the show. <laughs> oh, thanks, Charles. Thanks for coming on. I just created a new character, Charles Wazowski, my analyst. Tra- Charles, your analyst. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love the way New York, like old New York, New York people always call therapists analysts. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. So. We have, um, you know, like for example, there were 12,109 support questions answered and so on. So that we were just able to kind of glean from usage of our, uh, software and whatnot. But then we have other really cool things like, for example, 896 fizzlers made websites last year. That's pretty cool. And you got that by asking those questions. Did you, you know, what did you do last year? And people were able to check off the boxes of the different things that they did. Um, we also know that, um, 241 Fizzle members quit their day jobs last year, which blew me away. That's pretty cool. But so the um, this kind of survey, I don't know of other companies that do this sort of thing, but instead of saying, how are we doing? You know, how do you like us? How would you recommend us? This is more like, what did you accomplish last year? And the, the idea being, we've said this before, we believe that the best way for us to succeed as a company is to figure out how to turn ordinary people into extraordinary entrepreneurs. And so by measuring that to say, what did you guys accomplish last year? It's a way for us to figure out if we're actually helping people make progress or not. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it, it comes in line with the stuff you mentioned earlier about, you know, how often we talk about talking to your audience and understanding what to make from their point of view instead of just yours. Because what happens is you're this artistic, creative, ph- phenomenal human being, and 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 you f- you you're forced into limiting yourself uh, into it as what we call a niche, a niche, or whatever, right? You're forced into saying I'm going to be this kind of business because this makes sense to people, because otherwise, no, otherwise uh, people have a fraction of a second for you, and you just look like a, uh, you know what I mean? When they when they see if they see you know you your Rorschach sh- sort of like a, a, ex- explanation of what you do, so you have to make this very specific, very concrete, very clear way of saying what you do and and it's really hard it's really hard for a lot of people um or it it, here's what i've noticed i've noticed it's very hard for people to understand what is to understand how to do that when they're early on in their journey right okay because it's just it you're you're it takes all your energy just to have enough balls and guts to try to do something in general to see yourself as someone who could potentially maybe do something right you're 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 running a survival game of just trying to keep your head above water when you clearly look like the outcast in your friend group and families you know what i mean because you're the only one who's trying to do their own thing or even thinks about it right like uh like julia tunstall said on that on that gently mad uh ad read for fizzle she's like oh that's cute you have a blog that's what all of her friends were saying to her. Oh, that's, right. that's really cute. You have a blog, right? And she was like, this is going to be my thing, you guys. She goes, no, you, you don't want to be that person that's saying that, you know, but, but you find yourself doing it. 
So in the beginning, you don't know how to make something that's going to resonate with people. You just know how, like, you can just hope to God that you have the guts to, like, make something and put it out there, right? That's where you're supposed to be. Um, then, after years of that, after years of that, you'll normally stop doing, uh, you'll, you'll normally, like, one idea will lose some steam, but you'll have a new idea, and then you'll be a little bit smarter about it. You'll have a little more capabilities. And then, finally, after that idea sort of fizzles out, then you'll, like, finally have a thing where you're like, okay, I think I know, I think I know what I want to do, because you've, 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 You've slammed up against the brick wall enough. And you can read books that can help you out with this. You can listen to this podcast. You can, you can take the Defining Your Audience course and the Choosing a Topic course in Fizzle. You can read this, the Lean Startup. You can understand this stuff because there's definitely some things that you, that, that are, uh, that are worth understanding. But there's a lot of that real world, uh, you know, I, I can't get the, the example of Derek Halpern out of my head, you know, and I know that means I got to put a dollar in the, in the use other examples jar, but, um, but like Derek, he started out early, and he did uh, he did a, a few things. One of which uh, ended up becoming like a celebrity blog, but not because he's so excited about celebrities. He just saw it as a market opportunity. Now Derek sees the world that way for a lot of different reasons. Many of which are are his own, you know, his own personal story. Right, you don't know where he comes from and what he's what he's had to go through to get to where he is, and so he's always had been forced to see the world in this like business uh, opportunity, uh, uh, sort of through that lens. Right, so then when he starts social triggers, he has an extremely clear picture of what he wants to do with it because it's not his first rodeo right and because he knows what get what this is going to be big because i've seen this example and i've seen that example and i'm doing the smashing those two things together yeah right and and because of that he was he is just from you know it's like jay-z i'm not a businessman i'm a business man you know what i mean that's the way he sees the world and i'm very different i'm this woo-woo artist sort of like i want to make things because they feel good when you make them and i want to see people interacting with my things and having emotional experiences with them that's all that's all i really want from the world i think maybe um and and so for me to make something that's valuable and that sort of reverse engineer it is a very different thing. But that's why talking to the audience, for me, if I ever get burned out and fizzle, which happens, happens often, um, you know, like we, people think like, oh my God, you're doing it. You're doing the thing. Like, no, you totally get burnt out here still because everything becomes a job. But those secret, the, the, the secret sauce for getting out of that is hearing a new story from a member in Fizzle and to hear what they're trying to do and to realize that it's totally possible to connect them to the answers they think they need and then the actual roadmap that they actually need. You yeah. know, to take the the actual steps. You know, they they need these two bullet points to to satisfy this monkey mind of theirs. And then they need someone to hold them to task that you know, get in touch with me when you're done with that. Well, and for you know? me, even just the Q&A episodes we do, those are so vital because it just reminds you there are people out there with real questions and they need answers, you know, and that's why we're here. Um, if you just talk into a vacuum the whole time or if you just, you know, publish blog posts and never get feedback, you can get pretty depressed about it. I, I know um, I was talking with a, a friend who podcasts today and podcasting can be so lonely sometimes because you don't have that, immediate feedback. You don't get comments on a podcast, yeah. right? And and so you can feel like you're just putting stuff out there and all you see as a result is some vague numbers in SoundCloud or, or Libsyn or something. And you don't know, does that mean people are enjoying this or not? I haven't gotten a review in three weeks, you know? How should I feel about this? Um, yeah. And so that's where, you know, having some sort of connection to your audience, figuring out a way to get people onto an email list so that when you want to know something, when you want to find out how you're doing, you can email those people and say, hey, 
how am I doing? You know, and you can get those stories and those questions and things that um, remind you that it's not, you're not just doing this to hear your own voice. You're doing this to help some yeah. real people. Yeah. And I got to say before I, before I, I bug Barrett into talking over here, uh, I got to say that this whole idea of that's why the first course that I did in fizzle was defining your audience, right? Which is about understanding who these people are and what they might be willing to pay for. And where that came from for me was this long, long training as a designer in what's called user centric design. And it's the idea that like you've got stakeholders, right? You have the CEO and then the marketing director and they're like, Okay, we need a new website. And here's what I want. I want the logo to be front and center. And I also want our social media accounts on there because we don't have very many followers. You know, and they have all of these these goals and these dreams of theirs, right? As what we call stakeholders. But then you as the designer, you are the one responsible for standing up and fighting for the user. Because the user has a has a goal in mind. The user needs information on how to get uh, how to apply their health insurance to this thing or that thing. They need the user has to know uh, what's what what what's waist size the medium uh, in this pants this sweatpants is. You know the user needs has all these questions that they need answered. So it's this weird way of becoming a salesman by anticipating the needs of the user, but through a very visual and sort of information architecture based sort of way of coming at things. So that's what that's what my bread and butter was. And, and that's what, what kind of got me so addicted to this idea of like, uh, it, it was always a big deal in the design world to do research. And I could never do it because, uh, because I was just working on like small projects. I didn't have like an agency to work for, you know? Yeah. Um, and so then when I read the Lean Startup, and they started talking about customer development, this, this old concept from uh, Steve Blank about getting out of the building, getting out of your head, and uh, like, oh, I saw Apple computers, and then I thought, what about a computer? All right, listen to me. What about maybe like a computer? All right, you ready for this? That's orange. You know, and you have some idea, and you think it's so cool, and, and then you just think that that's going to be your, your business. Um, and Steve Blank talks about like that's I've I've seen every business fail. I've seen all I've seen all of the businesses go out of business for for things like that. And I've also seen this other trend happening where people are getting out of the out of the biz, out of the building really early and talking to their customers or to potential customers. Hey, would you be interested in this sort of thing? What would you like about it? What wouldn't you like about it? What do you wish you you had as about a computer? What do you, what colors would a color matter when you're buying a computer? Right, whatever things like that. And he turned that into this whole like basic basically, I don't know, this dogma of customer development, which is a, a handful of just really useful chapters in the Lean Startup and the four st- steps, the four epiphany, what is it? The four stages, the epiphany? Four steps, like yeah. Four steps. Um, but anyway, so that to say, like this stuff to me, we're talking about surveying specifically. And surveying, I've gone, I mean, when I designed, when, Cor- when I met Corbett, I was designing Think Traffic. Uh, that was my, our very first job working together. And he had these old surveys. And I went through every single line of them. And they were a little bit helpful. Uh, what was most helpful about them was uh, going, through the, what, what, going through the comments mm-hmm. and then clicking on the sites of the people that were commenting and seeing sort of what stage they were at. You know, if they were if they were a loud bullhorn without if they're all hat and no cattle, or if they actually had like a, an actual site with like going all the way and doing the things and making the sales, um, learning about the audience that way met, like changed a lot. That's where all of the the design sort of came from. And famously, I have this story that I tell about one guy that I found that uh, that I designed the whole website for. Like he was my emotional like uh, uh, my emotional sort of <laughs> uh, you know 
character that I built the site for. So all of this to say, this is really a part of a much larger framework that has to do with you being able to somehow mix what you want to make with what they need from you, right? What, what you could potentially make and what they could potentially buy, which isn't just like they have money or this, that, and the other. And it's not just like, oh, these are 35-year-old moms that have two dogs typically and at least one kid, or they don't have any kids, and that changes everything about how I'm marketing. No, it doesn't necessarily. Like, like it, that matters a whole lot less than, you know, uh, than, than, I don't know how to say it. There's some metrics that, or, or you know, things that really matter a lot in terms of how you market and how you put together your thing and whether you make this product or that product. And there's other that, the others that don't. And we get into that all the time in the forums in Fizzle. But anyways, this stuff has meant a lot to me. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's the the bread and butter of figuring out how you're doing. And and, and some companies yeah. like uh, like I said, Apple and others, they build uh, most of their processes around this. They live and die by these numbers. Um, for better or worse, but um, we certainly got a lot of good feedback that I want to share. But Barrett, what are you hearing over there? And um, what other kinds of surveys can people do? What other things do we do on a regular basis to survey our audience? Uh, I think you can do a number of things. But for me, surveys are an entrance point into a conversation. They're how you capture a lot of data all at once without a ton of heavy lifting. And then it allows you to pick out certain stories you want to learn more about. So like for me... If we see particularly interesting feedback in some of these things, some of these responses to the NPS survey, for example, we should call some of those people and dig more and find out more about how they're using Fizzle and why it's valuable to them or why it's not valuable to them or why they think they don't have time or why they think they don't have friends that are entrepreneurs. So these are some of the things we're going to talk about in a minute. But for me, I think it's just a piece of a bigger research puzzle that should be driving how you're building products, what you're selling to people, how you're marketing to them what problems you're solving for them. Because at the end of the day, your company needs to solve a problem either for a person or another company or organization or whatever. And the best way to find that out is to have those people tell you what their problems are. And for me, that's just what we're getting at here with surveys. And another way to do that is to conduct direct interviews or conversation with those people, whether over the internet or in person or whatever. And I think that's the thing that I've seen most, or not most people, Many people who hear that from us, that they should go do that, get very scared and intimidated by the prospect of it. Because it's like, well, who would get on the phone with me? And how do I get them on the phone? And what is the email text I send? And what do I ask them when right. I'm on the phone? And it's like, no, it's it's not about all those little things. It's not as complicated as you think it is. It's two humans having a conversation. And of course, you need to not be like ridiculous in the email so that they don't feel threatened by it or they don't feel like you're a crazy person. But at the end of the day, it's humans. And if you're not willing to go out and find out what they need from you, I think you're going to have a really hard time solving problems for them. Hmm. Yeah, and I think I think some people also are afraid to talk to their audience or to survey people because that's when it really that's when it becomes real. Yep. Right up till that point, you could be playing business in your mind. You know, oh, I have this podcast and it's so important and I'm solving these problems. But you haven't created a product yet because you don't know what problem you're specifically solving. And more importantly, you don't know if anybody will find it useful. And you're afraid to send out that survey or jump on that phone call because you're probably going to find out that your thing isn't as useful or important as you hoped it was. And that means you have a bunch of work in front of you in order to get it to that good place. Yeah, and it's a real mm. challenge when that happens. Like, I'll share a real quick anecdote just from my experience, and hopefully it'll be helpful to others. Uh, at Living for Monday, 
we found out that uh, we had a bad market trying to pitch career search advice to college students because they had never been in a job that they hated. So they didn't know that they were going to need better career search advice. They thought the career center at the college would be just fine. So we pivoted kind of to target young professionals. But instead of only changing our market, we also changed our product to where we were creating a bunch of training courses uh, on soft skills and communication skills and stuff like that for young professionals in big companies. So before we built any of those courses, though, we just built a public-facing website that displayed some of those courses and what the uh, platform would include later. And then we brought real people in. We did 20 of these live, like, interactive sessions where we showed the people the site, we let them explore it, we noted what they did and how they looked around, and then we interviewed them about the experience and what they found and what they liked and what they didn't like. And one of the biggest questions we asked was, based on the course list right now, what do you feel like is most missing? And almost without fail, every one of those people said, well, it looks like these are all good things, but what you're really missing is, how do I change jobs when I know I'm in a job that I don't like? And so here we were, we had changed everything about what we were going to do, and we had come 360 degrees right back to the product we started with, with just a different audience. <laughs> and if we had just started there with customer research to begin with, when we started the company, I think we would have been in much better shape than uh, we ended up in with that. Yep. And I, I know it might sound trite for us to spend an entire podcast episode on on you should talk to customers is basically what we're saying. Um, but you'd be surprised how many companies out there don't talk to customers ever. And you know, there's a chance you could be successful doing that, but this just um, this just clears up so much of the fog that you live in when you're trying to build a customer about what you should be doing. Um, and I, I, just a couple of other points before I get back to the results that we got from the NPS survey. Um, people listening to this who are kind of just starting out, maybe they've been blogging for a little while or creating a podcast or just thinking about what they want to do, they might be scratching their head going, okay, this is great, but um, I don't have a big customer base that I can send a survey to. You can start this before you have any customers at all. You need to find people to talk to who have an interest in the same problem that you hope to solve or who share that problem so that you know which direction to get to get started in. If you have a blog and you've gotten a few comments from people, um, a lot of blog software requires that they leave an email address in order to leave a comment. You could always reach out to those people and say, hey, I hope you don't mind, but you left your email address in order to leave this comment. I'd love to ask you a couple of questions and just send them a, a brief survey link. Or um, something that we do and something that every blog or every website should do whenever you capture an email address is to send a quick little survey right away to say, um, hey, how did you find out about us? Uh, and what are you struggling with right now? Or how can we help you? That sort of thing. That's the old, uh, to bring up Derek Halpern again, one of the things that uh, we've talked about um, him teaching us a long time ago, which is just to ask people, what are you struggling with when they sign up? Um, and likewise, when people leave, if they unsubscribe for your, from your email list or they cancel their subscription to Fizzle or whatever, send them a quick survey and say, what was your experience like? Why are you unsubscribing? How could we make this thing better? And you'll get a ton of data from that. It doesn't have to be a one-time event like we did with the NPS where you send it out to everybody. You can be doing ongoing surveys and just collecting data as it comes in. And we have conversations almost every day uh, within the team about something that somebody, some feedback that somebody gave us through one of these channels. And it's so valuable to us. So yeah. on that point, I had a friend recently, I won't share his name or the company, but it's a very well-known big tech company that a lot of people respect. So I'll just leave it there. But he said that 
one of his projects when he was interning for them was to take um, all of the archived customer feedback they had gotten over time, whether it was exit surveys or just through the customer service lines, and to organize it topically, just like you did, Corbett, for our results of the NPS survey, into Evernote notebooks. So that when someone wanted to make a quote-unquote business case for a new project to the company, they could go in and look at the customer feedback to justify what it is they're saying should be done. Nice. And so they had a way to reference. So like, think of all of our intercom archives categorized by topics so that we can go back and say, here's what I mean when I say we're getting feedback from customers on X, Y, or Z. I thought that was fascinating. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And we've, we've captured notebooks like that before. And I think, you know, sometimes that data goes stale after a while. And that's why it's nice to have this heartbeat or this pulse of new stuff coming in all the time. Um, and that's why once in a while it's nice to kind of level set and say, okay, where do we stand right now with right. everybody we can possibly talk to? So definitely. So with the NPS survey, um, we got, as I said, 650 um, results from people, and everybody has to score you on a scale from 0 to 10. And the way the NPS works, the, way, the reason it's called a net promoter is basically um, people get lumped into three buckets. If they answer with a 9 or a 10, they're considered a promoter. If they answer with a 7 or 8 score, they're considered a passive and if they answer somewhere between zero and six, they're labeled a detractor. And this is all part of the research that the um, authors of this score uh, did originally. So then what you do is you subtract the number, the percentage of detractors from the percentage of promoters. So, for example, uh, when we sent our survey out, we ended up with 55% of people who responded gave us a nine or a ten. Those are promoters. Those are people who love us and want to tell other people about us. 29% of people were passives or on the fence. They gave us a uh, seven or eight. And if you look at the comments, most people are pretty um, complimentary, but a lot of them say, I'm not sure exactly who I would recommend this to, that sort of thing. And then 16% of people were detractors. And so you subtract the uh, 16% from the 55% of promoters, and that gives you your score, the NPS itself. And for us, we achieved an NPS of 39. So mm. you might be tempted to compare this to others. And in fact, we did. We compared the score, and you can look and, and get some um, industry benchmarks because some of the bigger companies, their uh, NPSs are published because third-party firms can survey their customers, that sort of thing. And um, what you find is that the scores can range any f anywhere from negative 100% up to uh, 100%. And if you had a, a minus 100, that would mean that you had all detractors and no passives or, or promoters. If you had a positive 100, that would mean everybody's a promoter and nobody's a passive or detractor. So our score of 39, where does that fall? That was my first question. And so we looked around and we found that basically the, the world-class firms, places like Apple and Netflix and a couple of others, they're lucky to score in the 70s. A really high score would be considered anything over 70. Um, in fact, there's very few companies out there that get a score of 80. And, um, you know, just a handful of Fortune 500s. Most, I guess, on average, uh, companies score somewhere between a five and a 10, actually. And we found, um, that the, uh, a company called SAP Metrics that does all this benchmarking, they say if you score a 40 or above, you're doing really well. So 
at first we're thinking, okay, we sent this survey out. We're kind of looking for an answer here to tell us that there's something wrong with our product. And if we fix that, then we're going to accomplish this product market fit or this traction that we're looking for. And then here we are with this score that seems pretty good, a 39, you know, when we look around and we're kind of scratching our heads like, okay, well, what does that mean? What are we supposed to do next? Does that mean that we, our product is really great and we don't need to do anything to it? Um, or are we not reading this correctly? So we did a bunch of research and, um, you know, looked around to see what other, other startups have scored. We found some who scored far lower than we did, and yet they're stable, still able to grow. They've achieved product market fit. Uh, and so it leaves us with a lot of questions. And this isn't some sort of silver bullet, but the advice that we found over and over again was that you shouldn't compare your score to everybody else out there necessarily, but that you should try to do this sort of survey on a regular basis. Um, send out, you know, the NPS survey to one third of your audience, uh, four times, three times a year or, or something like that so that you can get a sliver that shows you, okay, for the first quarter, here's what our NPS was. The second quarter, here's what it was. Did we make any improvements? Were we able to go from 39 to 40? And if so, you know, what did we do that, that led to that change? So to figure out what to change then, uh, again, in addition to the score, everybody sent in feedback and we have a ton of feedback now and you take that feedback and categorize it, assign it little tags and things. And so we were able to come up with basically the top five things that our customers raved about, that they really liked about Fizzle. And then we have the top five reasons that people said they couldn't recommend us, the things that maybe they didn't like about Fizzle. And we're digging into this now to kind of make a plan for what are we going to do to improve things. Um, And we don't have all the answers, but we do know that people really love our content and our courses inside Fizzle. They really love the community. They really feel like there's a very solid value, that the price is really good for what they get. Um, People love our podcast and uh, they love our helpfulness and the support that we're able to give people inside. So that's all great. And those are things that we figured are important and those are things that we're working on. Um, but then when it comes to the top five reasons why people couldn't recommend us, there's a lot more question marks here because the number one was that people said, well, I don't have enough time to use Fizzle or I haven't been able to use it enough to recommend it yet. And... Um, that could mean a whole lot of things, right? And I think that's where, Barrett, you were saying earlier, this should be a starting point for a bunch of conversations. To exactly. say, okay, great. You say you haven't had enough time. Well, why? What do you mean you haven't had enough time? Is building a business really important to you? Did you try to use Fizzle at all? Did you get distracted? Like, what, what exactly happened? Or maybe it was confusing to you. Maybe you got inside and you didn't know where to start, and so you just kind of delayed it and you never came back, that sort of thing. And so maybe that means that we have some sort of usability problem. But we won't know that until we actually dig in and, and have those conversations. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. Or, you know, a third option is like, hey, I am have a full-time job, I'm married, I have two kids and three dogs, and there's just no time. And it's like, well, maybe right now is not the right time for you to build a business. So I agree with you. I think it's a great starting point for us. And, and similarly, if another business did this, I think they would find interesting insights as well to dive in and, and learn more about those. Yeah. Um, and the goal, right, is over time, can we make a 39 into a 45? And then a year later, can we make a 45 into a 50 or whatever so that we're improving the likelihood that our customers will recommend us, which really means they're satisfied with what we're up to. Absolutely. Yeah, that, the the time-based nature of this is pretty sensational because it, it, there's one thing I've learned. It, it's kind of like I'm always 
surprised that we're still around in a year. And I'm wondering, why didn't we keep that data? Or why didn't we do this then too? Like, you know, you can have the idea and then not do it because you're like, well, I don't really know. Like, what's really going on in your head is you don't really believe that you're still going to be around, you know, in some ways, you know what I mean? Yeah. So having, doing this now and then, then doing this later and then doing it again and then doing it again. And you've got, you've had like six months between each of those or maybe even a year between each of those. Now you've got like a really interesting trend line that matters a lot in terms of like your growth as a company. Um, and and that can be really helpful. So starting early doesn't doesn't hurt at all. Absolutely. All right. What else? Anything else to add, guys? I think that's it for me. Uh, you know, bottom line is you need to talk to your customers, and you're going to kick yourself for not doing it earlier. And and by customers, uh, we don't mean people who are paying you necessarily, because I know a lot of physical show listeners aren't to that point yet. Um, so instead of thinking about customers, think about just anybody who has shown an interest in your podcast or your blog or anything that you publish or, um, go out and look for people, you know, go out and, uh, talk to, start with friends if you have to, or post on Facebook, say, Hey, I'm looking for people who are, um, interested in, uh, body weight exercises, you know, mm-hmm. um, is anybody interested in this? I have a quick question for you, you know, and start it that way. Just open it up um, wherever you can to try to start these conversations. Obviously the best place eventually is uh, your own email list. Hopefully you're building one of those, but before you have one of those, you should be trying to talk to people anyway. One simple conversation. It doesn't, you don't have to sit down to have hours and hours and hours of conversations with dozens of people. Just one conversation will probably change the idea that you have in your mind or the plan that you have in your mind. It will probably change it dramatically, especially in the beginning. And I've said this once before on the show, but I recommended this to one of our fizzlers who's making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in his business and has multiple employees now. And he had never done direct conversations, interviews with his customers. And he started doing it, even though he said he didn't think he had time He did one of them and then he emailed me back and said, I'm trying to do one of these per working day in 2015. Wow. That's how much value he found in it. So, yeah, that's wild. I mean, I can't, I would take, I would bet against him at this point. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Good luck, buddy. We think you're not going to make it. It's a great idea. You're going to fail pretty bad. So, uh, maybe try for one a week or one every two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I have been Chase Wardman Reeves. That's I've it. Been... That's all you got to say. That's it. That's it. All right. Were you going to jump in there, Barrett? You're going to jump. I on did. Me? I realized I was. Going, I'm so out of it right now. Dude, that's, I'm sorry. Uh, that's just Barrett's nature. You led the he's way just, right there. He's just. He's just. He just wants to get up there. He confu- we're sitting. Chase confused we're, the hell out of me. Either we're <laughs> sitting around waiting for you to show up so we can start the podcast, or you're trying to end things prematurely. I just don't understand what's going Burn. on. All right. He's got initiative. He's got initiative. He's. Uh, he's. Uh, He's really moving up. I'm a real go-getter. <laughs> <laughs> you goofy guy. Hey, uh, did you want to share any news with the audience, Barrett? Or... Oh, man, that's right. Hey, so uh, I got engaged. <laughs> hey! No! What? That's amazing! <laughs> I know. Who's the lucky guy? <laughs> it's oh. Nicole. Hey, Nicole, you want to be on the podcast? Nicole, be on the podcast! <laughs> She says no, not right now. She says no. Nicole was on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> next time. We'll, next we'll time. let her prepare next time. Okay. You can tell her that, that she can say her words herself or we can say her words for her. <laughs> Yeah, you tell her that. Okay, <laughs> if she doesn't right. come on next time, we're going to speak for her. Oh, nice. 
I'm just really excited. Okay, I won't do it now, but I'll wait till next time. Next time. All right, good. Yep. All right. I have been Corbett Barr. I have been Barry Brooks. See you there. We'll see you or we'll see you whenever Barry shows up. Fizzleshow.co slash 94. You know, if you were on the email list there, you'd already know about Jason Glaspie's awesome article on the Sparkline from earlier this week. That's F-I-Z-Z-L-E show.co slash 94. Here's an iTunes review from Nikki Tillier in Australia. Listen, laugh, re-listen, take notes, laugh some more, learn, and then go do the work. (laughs) I love that one. Our goal here is to help you build the best possible thing you can, you know, creating a thriving audience along the way. And if you leave us an iTunes review, it really helps us to get into the ear holes of other people out there who, who would be a great fit for this show. So simply search for the show in iTunes and click write a review. You know, talking to your audience can be tough. And hopefully listening to this uh, has got you feeling a little more comfortable about listening. Who knows? It could be the most important thing you do in your business this whole year. Find care, take care, serve hard, and dig in. Thanks. I'll talk to you next Fizzle Friday.